One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we're going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, bfritz12 on DraftKings Discord and Twitter. And today I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. Guys, we are into the kind of like the middle third of the season here. The, the first handful of weeks are out of the way. Uh, how are you guys doing? How was this past week? Are you excited to keep playing DFS? <laughs> Always excited to keep playing DFS. It's it's the the challenge of it. Like, and even I know I went on the the afternoon slates more than anything else, but I still want to play that main slate just because I I want to figure out how to win that one too. Like I played uh, the early like the Jacksonville game. I played the early only slate. I played the afternoon only slate. I pretty much played at least one lineup on every single slate. And same thing. It's like I went all my money back that I lost on the early slates with that afternoon slate. And then it's just like, all right, cool. Broke even. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd consider robbing a bank to keep playing DFS, even if I ran out of money, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would, too. It's it's an obsession for sure. I uh, Jess, I'm kind of similar to you in that. Uh, I I actually didn't even play main slate at all this week. I've been playing around with just focusing on some of these other slates. I talked about it on the community stage earlier today about assessing our process and how I played the early slate there, essentially just like cutting out games that I feel a little bit uncertain about. And when I don't feel like I have an edge, I actually had a it was in a small field. Uh, I had a good lineup in the the showdown that early London game. But I, at the last minute, I swapped my lineups instead of like the $12 fair catch I was in. I switched that lineup to the, uh, like a $3 pylon or whatever it was. And so I, you know, I won like 20 X, but <laughs> it was, uh, I'm, I'm three bucks. So I think I placed like fifth out of whatever the field was. So it was encouraging, but unfortunately didn't help too much from the bankroll standpoint. <laughs> How are you guys feeling about yeah. uh, jumping into today? We good to go? I'm ready. I'm All ready. right. Yeah, I'm yeah. ready. Yeah, and if you guys are listening uh, live on Discord here, thanks for tuning in. We're excited to have you guys. Uh, keep in mind that at the end here, we will open this up for questions. You guys can feel free to come up on stage if that's something you know not comfortable or you'd rather just shoot us a message you can do so in the first peak live 7 p.m eastern channel that is there says so text channel go ahead and shoot us questions as we go along with that let us get into today's games today we're going to be looking at kansas city at tennessee carolina at new york giants and chicago versus tampa bay all right. So starting with Kansas City at Tennessee, kind of like we, we did last week too. like Tennessee's games are not going to go overlooked. But this is an interesting matchup that is, again, like Tennessee's game last week versus Washington. 
probably going to be pretty important in terms of how we're approaching tournaments and our strategy around that. So uh, each team has only one game total below 50 so far in 2021. Uh, scores of 44 and 41 points board here. So let's dig into the DFS relevance. Starting with Kansas City. So we, we've talked about the weak pass defense of Tennessee. We talked about that last week. Uh, do they stand any chance for some homes and the Chiefs at Kansas City last week versus Washington did end up quote unquote failing, uh, not necessarily for an NFL team, but for Kansas City standards. And Tennessee was actually relatively impressive versus Josh Allen and the Bills. Again, uh, the they, they produced, but definitely uh, not a, a total smash spot there. So, Lex, I'm going to throw it over to you first. How are we feeling about Mahomes and the Chiefs versus the Tennessee defense? Uh, I think this is going to be, well, at least it sets up to be a really high-scoring game. It's probably going to be the most popular one on the slate, I would imagine, just because of the players involved and the the uh, total set by Vegas. Um, you just have two teams with really bad defenses and then two teams who've also been able to score a lot themselves. The only KC game that went under like 58 or like 54 points was the wash was just because Washington failed to score on their end. So I, I, you know, now that's a, that's a Heineke team. Now we've got uh, Henry and Tannehill and Brown and potentially Julio healthy. So I just think this sets up really well for both sides to be pushed into scoring a lot of points. Um, just because KC played well, you know, against Washington doesn't really give me a lot of confidence since we have, you know, five prior weeks of evidence that they've been playing really, really historically bad so far to start this year. Um, so I, I like the spot for Mahomes just because I think that the volume is going to be there. I think Tannehill and Tennessee are going to be able to keep pace, which is going to lead to a lot of Mahomes pass attempts, which obviously benefits all the guys on KC that we like to target. Yeah, I think it was interesting. Yeah, I think last it was interesting. Oh, I'm getting a little echoed there. Last week, uh, Mahomes actually looked kind of human <laughs> versus Washington. I, just from the eye test, he seemed to struggle under the pressure. He threw a really, really bad pick at one point. Uh, so it was just interesting to see that and uh, not something that we need to wait really heavily. But I was kind of I, I know that Washington didn't really force the issue, but I wasn't super impressed with how Mahomes looked. But with that said, Jess, how are you feeling about Mahomes and how the Chiefs offense sets up here? Well, both offenses have a whole or as a whole, uh, they're facing defenses that are weak at defending what the other one does. And we have two really strong identities on each side here. You've got the Mahomes Hill Kelsey passing attack versus the running attack with uh, Derek Henry. And then these two teams come out with uh, the number one and number two net drive success rate score of the week. So, I mean, this one should be excellent on both sides uh, as far as like the chiefs go i think uh, a lot of people were expecting more last week i think this might be the week that happens uh tennessee's defense is allowing the fifth most defensive air yards and they're now down christian fulton um they, i want to say they had another eb go on ir so they're down to jackrabbit jenkins chris jackson got hers hurt last week we'll see if he plays and then when breon borders came into the game it just looked like they were relentlessly attacking him. Uh, the Bills were. So it, 
it's kind of it's set up again. So basically what the Bills just did to Tennessee is what we're probably going to see Kansas City do. Um, I don't think we're going to see Daryl Williams snipe two touchdowns this week. I think it will come through the passing game. So I think people that maybe didn't do well, like played this game last week, hopefully that left a bitter taste in their mouth. So we might be able to get it this week in a little bit lower ownership, but probably not. But I think I think it should hit. I mean, it's set up to anyway. Yeah, with that, I'm curious where we're going here on offense. Uh, Obviously, Tyreek and Kelsey are the main drivers of this offense. Uh, Tennessee has allowed the most wide receiver DK points so far this year. Are we going to Tyreek or are we looking to get on the Kelsey train after he's uh, relatively disappointed people, Lex. I think both are in really good spots. Um, Tennessee's allowed four more points per game than the next closest team in in terms of like uh, wide receiver DK points. So they're just getting crushed by these receivers. I think what is it? Seven of them have scored twenty plus. Like only one has reached thirty, mostly just with volume. But um, and like maybe like like Diggs had a really nice game, but like I don't know if he. Or I guess he did find the end zone. It's just like the distribution's been spread enough where none of these guys have popped for like 30 plus, but we know Tyreek is going to dominate the majority of the wide receiver targets for Kansas City. Um, he's he's had his best games in games that are really high scoring on both sides, which this we have an expectation that this will be. Um, and I actually have another thing since you were asking me about both of them. Uh, some of Kelsey's actual like highest ceiling games have also come when Hill has gone off. Like, now that doesn't mean like Kelsey's also had some of his more consistent and better games when Hill's disappointing, but like the ceiling that he can reach, like has actually been in those same games that Tyreek reaches it just because there's so much volume on that Casey passing game. And it's so concentrated between the two that it actually leads to them both having um, pretty monster scores. Um, and this is a pretty good spot for that. If you assume, you know, AJ Brown and Henry and those guys are able to push Casey on that side. So I think that that's interesting to keep in mind. I don't think you have to choose between one or the other. Um, I think Hill is probably in a little bit better spot just with how weak Tennessee's been with wide receivers. And he hasn't really put up one of those monster scores in what, like a couple weeks now. But um, I, I think that he'll be interesting to target. I mean, we could talk about, you know, Hardman, some of the other guys, but uh, I, I like the spot a lot for both of them. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think that's interesting. Last week, I talked about this a little bit earlier uh, on the community stage and I was going over my lineup from last week and I played, I went pretty heavily on the Kansas city, Washington game and I played a, a Washington stack led by Heineke and then brought it back with both Hill and Kelsey. And, it, you know, based on everything you're saying and how this game sets up, I'm definitely interested in uh, looking at what that looks like in this spot. But Jess thoughts on, Hill and Kelsey, anything you have in the data or how you're, you might be playing it. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything Lex said. Um, one thing to note with Tennessee is they are getting destroyed in the slot and that is where Hill will line up quite a bit. Um, looking at target distribution, like it, this is pretty much a Hill or Kelsey offense. You've got Hill at 10 and a half targets a game. You got Kelsey at eight, eight point eight. And then the next guy is Hardman at 5.8. And you just don't know what you're going to get with Hardman. I think if you're going to this game, it kind of, you kind of do just want to go with the sure thing. And then if you want to stack all three with Mahomes, 
Hill, Kelsey, and differentiate elsewhere, then I think that's the way to go. But if you're betting on this game, I, I'm betting on the short pieces, the ones with the high ceilings. Nicole Hardman's never going to reach a ceiling of as high as Kelsey or Hill when those guys hit. So I'm not as much on him or any of the other pass catchers for that matter. Like if I'm playing this game, I'm playing it for the pieces that you're counting on. I think too, I'll jump in. Like it, it can depend on, you know, like the contest you're playing, like, cause it, you know, I think it's, I'm hundred percent with Jess. I'm like, you're focusing on the two guys that are basically monopolizing where the DK points are going to go almost every week. Uh, but obviously it's different if you're like, you know, trying to win the million and your mass multi engine, like maybe there's reasons to, take shots on like the McColl Hardman, like having one of those random big games or Williams having another two touchdown game. But I think obviously the surety is where is between Kelsey and, and Hill and the other two years kind of betting on an outlier type game in a high scoring environment. Yeah. And I, from a certainty standpoint, these two guys, I, you know, the, if you play them both, the, the floor and ceiling combo that they have is pretty nuts. Again, I talked about this earlier. Uh, I mean, they have like a legit like rock bottom floor pretty much of 40 points. And then, you know, they can get up to 70 or something like that together. Uh, You know, it's high, but it's it is possible they have done it. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And obviously, uh, you know, price considered. I haven't looked at any of that yet, but that's one of those things where we're always weighing with these two guys. However, as we talk about a lot at OWS and JM really hammers home is once once lock hits, uh, you know, it's raw scores that count. So I think that's really, really interesting, especially if you're playing small fields to just lock in uh, some guaranteed points with these two guys, which, uh, you know, really kind of depends on what the other side of the ball looks like. But before we jump over to that, just for the sake of, uh, you know, doing our due diligence here, you know, we briefly mentioned Darrell Williams and, you know, probably not getting the, the the two touchdowns that he did this week. And I think Lex, you had in your stats, uh, like he saw 20 carries or something like that. And it was the first time that a, a Casey running back has seen that in uh, since like early last year or something. Uh, but we're, you know, we're not really <laughs> excited to play him, it sounds like. But is there anything that points to him producing in this spot uh lex you can go ahead um i mean he did you know take most of the usage for himself so like that would be a reason to look at him i mean he's going to be on a high total team as a you know i guess they're a road favorite but it's, it's still like a good spot um tennessee's been pretty weak on the ground he did just convert you know two touchdowns up near the goal line so there's certainly reasons to play him i think the the thing that you just said about the 20 attempts i think that is definitely something to keep in mind because it's rare that Casey gives so much usage to a running back. Um, the one that it was all the way back in week six versus Buffalo, the last time they did that. And that was when Buffalo was just playing everyone back to try and force Casey to just run pretty much every time. So, and it was also a blowout last week. So that, you know, if, unless you're believing that Tennessee can't keep pace, um, Mahomes is probably passing a little bit more this week. Uh, but sure. I mean, he's, he's a, you know, basically taking all the running back usage for himself, like I just said, and he's on a high total team. So, it's not like there's no reason to play him at all. There's definitely um, some interesting stuff. And KC has the the number five net rush DVOA. So like combining Tennessee's defensive DVOA, Kansas City's offense, they come out at, at fifth. So it's not like it's it's a hard sledding game for him. And then even their uh, 
adjusted line yards, Tennessee has given up four and a half or 4.56 adjusted line yards. So if Kansas City, like say Tyreek Hill really isn't all the way healthy, I don't know, maybe Kelsey goes out for a little while during the game. I mean, there could be stretches of this game where they're leaning on Daryl Williams. Um, it's it's not that he's going to hit like a, a smash game. He's going to need those two touchdowns again, but he could, depending on the flow of this game, especially if Kansas city gets out to a really big lead, basically takes Derrick Henry out of the game, then they can run the ball and control the clock. So that is an angle where this game could fail for the the high flyers on the, in the pass guessing pass catching game. Easy for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like you just finished with there. It, really kind of depends on how this game plays out, which is something that we need to take into consideration when we're building our rosters and the story that we're telling, which leads us into the other side of the ball. And if we think Tennessee can keep pace, so they are averaging 29.2 points per game outside of their 13 point showing in week one. Kansas City has allowed the fourth most points. The question really is, can they keep pace? Uh, Jess, I'm going to go ahead and we'll go right back to you here. Thoughts on if they can do so? Well, I think if they get the big dog going, yeah, they can definitely keep pace. They'll they'll stay in the game. They'll keep Mahomes and, and that offense off the field. Um, it's also going to matter as far as like the receivers go too. I mean, we're seeing, it looks like AJ Brown's getting healthier. He looked good in the second half last or last week. Julio, he's got the hamstring. He didn't practice today, but um, kind of looking at, I was looking at on a pro football reference, they have cornerback data and uh, both corners play stationary. So if uh, I can't remember how to pronounce this guy's name, Shartrevious Ward plays, which I think he might be coming back this week. He pretty much lines up on the left. Sneed's on the right. Uh, Ward was actually kind of getting burnt in those two games that he played before he got hurt. He was allowing 21.8 yards per reception on an 18.2 A dot. So if Tennessee wants to take some shots and he's not fully healthy and he's playing like he was before he left, and that could be some opportunity for Tennessee to you know lure you in with Henry and then just throw some over their head. Um, and KC is allowing the fourth most yards after the catch. So even, you know, lining up AJ Brown in the slot and just dumping it off to him may work out for some extra yards too. So there's different ways Tennessee can attack this game and maybe play a more well-rounded game where they're able to take advantage of some weakness in the KC secondary and still be able to hammer Derrick Henry. Lex thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I like the, spot for the Tennessee offense like I've been saying I think this is the spot where Tannehill's legs could factor in Casey's been beat up on the ground by Lamar Hurts and Josh Allen um, and Tannehill's shown a you know at least some ability to do that throughout his career he already has two games this year with some big rushing production um, he he hasn't passed for a ton of yards and I like where Casey's been allowing a ton this year but I think that for him if you're playing Tannehill or like you're basically just banking on some, a bunch of touchdowns and like maybe that 40, 50 yards rushing at a score. Um, but I think that he's definitely capable of keeping pace with Kansas city. So I was just looking at the odds actually, sorry, I was a little thrown off, but Casey and Tennessee, this game is at a 57 point total. And the next highest is the, the Rams one, which is 50. And that's, that's where the Rams are favored by like 15 and a half, you know, 16 points. So and this game's only like a four point spread. So not only is this like the most 
the highest total by just so much, it's also projected to be a close game. So I just, I think betting on this game and figuring out different ways that you want to bet on it is going to be the the way that to go this week in terms of just the the slate that we have. Um, just because I think it's like that thing JM said where, you know, there's other games that maybe they go off, but you have to figure out which one that is. And then you're also banking on one like this, just completely disappointing um, when it just sets up like so well. But uh, I, I think Henry's in a good spot. Um, Casey's rushing defense has been a little bit skewed just because of those quarterbacks that I mentioned, but that doesn't mean they're strong in the ground either. Like there's been pr- plenty of production from running backs. Um, the real problem that's, happened over the years is because Mahomes has put up so many points on the other side, the running backs just generally don't get enough volume to take advantage of a weak KC run defense. But if you're projecting this game to stay close in Tennessee to try to control it on the ground with Henry, then it's very possible. He has another one of those big games. I mean, he did it a couple of years ago. He had 188 yards and two touchdowns versus these chiefs. Um, so, you know, he's certainly a guy who can put up a huge score. If Brown is getting healthier, um, it's everything like Jess was saying, like the war doesn't been playing very well this year so far. Um, they've been allowing a lot of yak, which is, you know, suits Brown really well. Uh, so I, I like the spot. Tennessee has also, uh, sorry, Casey's been getting killed by tight ends and Ferkser is like not really getting used too much. So like, I, I don't know if I'd really want to bank on them just with some of the tight ends that we have. But like, again, if you're looking at different ways of game stacking this or, you know, like if it's in a you know millie maker type contest, you know those are a kind of guy that could he gets one you know big touchdown and then you're you're good at a really cheap tight end spot just because you know they've, they've just been so bad versus tight ends consistently this year. Uh, yeah, I don't really have much else to add on the Tennessee offense. There's still question marks about Julio. Um, other than to say, I just I really like this game environment and I think betting on it through you know Tyree, Kelsey, Hardman, Williams, the quarterbacks. Brown and all these guys are really in play this week. I think. Yeah, I really like really your like. stat of the the run defense. I think it's like one of those things where uh, sometimes just pure stats can be a little bit uh, uh, deceptive. In that, yes, Q, like QBs are contributing to Kansas City's thirty first ranked. Uh, or sorry, low low ranked um, rush DVOA. So, like you said, Tannehill has the ability to do that, and just in general, like you're saying, with how to approach this, it is just like really really interesting to me. I think one of the ways that you could potentially approach it uh, would be to fade Henry, which would essentially be that. You know, the the story would be something along the lines of like KC gets out to uh, a lead relatively quickly. And so then Tannehill and a pass catcher or two pass catchers becomes viable. Uh, But then the other way that is kind of like coming to mind as you were, you know, you guys are talking is thinking it's to me a little bit more balanced. You could even potentially play Henry with uh one either of the receivers so yeah i definitely think there's really really interesting ways to build around this but being really really mindful about how you're building what the story you're telling is because that's really going to be key in 
uh, how your rosters are correlated and if they tell a coherent story. Jess, I'm going to throw this to you to to just make sure we're like finished out here. But before I do that, uh, the one other stat I want to mention from you, Lex, was the targets when both Brown and Julio have played full. Uh, Brown's got eight, nine and nine and Julio's got six, eight and five. So kind of operating as a one A and one B. Jess, any any thoughts on what we were both talking about or anything to close off this game? Yeah, uh, Julio has the slightly higher A dot than AJB. And if he's going to line up on the outside more, because Brown is kind of, he's pretty much a third each way, left side, right side, or in the slot. If they're going to line, if Julio's healthy, he's lined up on the outside. I think he has the shot to maybe hit the big plays, like a, a deep shot. Uh, if he's out, I was going through and looking at snap rates and target counts over the the course of the season for all the wide receivers and uh nwi that nick westbrook ikeen um he kind of seems to be the next man up for julio and then you even got uh if mcnichols plays in the game where julio and aj brown were both out that was the game he got 12 targets so maybe if julio is out either uh nwi or mcnichols gets a few picks up a few extra targets there and that's kind of a way to bring a piece back on the tennessee side that's going to be cheaper maybe lower owned um other than that i mean just the 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 data says that this is a smash spot for derrick henry you've got recency bias everybody saw what he just did to the bills so i he's going to be super high owned and it just kind of feels like one of these games he's going to let down so Maybe, you know, pick up one of those pieces or even the the tight ends, like what Lex was saying, because the Kansas City is giving up a lot of points to tight ends receiving. You just have to bet on the right one because they're throwing it to three different guys out there. But Ferkser tends to be the the more reception heavy guy or the target heavy guy between all of them. Um, this might be a fun game for showdown, too, because then you can start plucking these little pieces off of the the Tennessee side that are cheaper, especially if Julio misses kind of build a an interesting roster that way but if you're playing a full slate um I, I would definitely keep an eye on julio his health one to see if he's going to be able to make the big plays if he's in two if he's out look to maybe nwi or mcnichols possibly to to pick up some extra targets uh yeah so i wanted to jump into with like one last thing ben so uh no Tennessee players scored 20 in week one, but Henry has scored 20 in every game since this year. So that means going back to 2020, at, at least one Tennessee player has scored 20 plus DK points in 19 of 22 games. And one thing that JM was obviously harping on a lot last year was that stack with Brown and Henry together. Uh, so that's one way to differentiate yourself too. A lot of the, some of those big games came against Houston when it was Watson putting up a ton of points on the other side with a weak Houston run defense and pass defense. Well, here we have a weak Casey run defense and pass defense with Mahomes potentially putting up points on the other side. So th this could be a spot where, you know, two of those guys smash like a Julio and Henry or Brown and Henry and where the field is more likely to maybe pick one. Uh, same goes with K Hill and Kelsey. Like I was saying before, some of Kelsey's biggest games have actually come when Hill was also having a big game. So playing those, you know, when the field might try to just choose one or the other, um, that might help differentiate yourself. Um, just finding different ways to build, I think, is the most important aspect of you know approaching this game. Yeah, it's kind of like we talked about with the yeah the 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 hill and Kelsey block from the other side. It's like you can just get so much uh, you know potential, so much volume and upside from 
like a Henry Brown stack. I do think Julio's really interesting in that it seems like people are kind of excited to play AJ Brown. I think Julio, especially with injury concerns, which are are very real and a little concerning, especially with the hamstring. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he just is interesting, especially with a deeper A dot, like you mentioned, Jess. And then the the McNichols thing is kind of interesting because. Kansas City's allowing a lot of production to running backs out of the backfield receiving. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I really just I, I guess my question to you guys would be, if you're going to fade Derrick Henry, do you play both Brown and Julio? I don't think you have to play both. I might. I, think you have to play both. I mean, you can. I, I might. Like you, have to. <laughs> like you have to. Sorry, Jess. Sorry, Jess. Yeah, sorry. I might play Tannehill and uh, Tannehill and one of the receivers and then bring it back with the uh, Hill Kelsey block and just play it that way. And that way you've got four pretty high leverage pieces in this game and without playing Henry or you can play Henry and Tannehill and then the the two pieces. I don't know how that would work in roster construction. I haven't gotten that far, but definitely taking uh, two from each side would be a pretty good way to to start a build if it's if it's possible to get pieces in there that fit together and make sense after that. Yeah. The only reason I say you don't have to is because Henry could totally put up a really strong score without putting up, you know, a, a score that really affects you with his price considered, you know? So that's why I, you know, I don't think it's like you have to, you know, assume that if Henry's not on your roster, that means both guys are going out. It could just mean that one of those guys having a great game and Henry's just having a good game. You know what I mean? But totally a way you can play. I would just, I don't think you have to do it that way. And then kind of going back to McNichols, we saw him limp back into the tunnel against the bills and based on the rest of their roster, like they were left with nothing but Henry. So if McNichols is out and they're down to just two fullbacks and Henry again, and Henry might be able to pick up some extra targets. Uh, his price is high. You're worried about the price considered score, but it, it would be aligned for him to have a really good game. It's also makes sense to fade him. So, I mean, it just depends on what you're trying to do with your build and what story you're telling. All right, guys, we talked all the angles there. So let's go ahead and move on to Carolina at New York Giants. And just a reminder, if you are hanging out in Discord, feel free to drop any questions before you forget in the thread that we have the channel uh first peak live 7 p.m eastern moving on carolina at new york giants this is one of those games that doesn't really jump off the page but we have a carolina defense that has kind of come back to earth after being really dominant the first few weeks and offenses on both sides of the ball that have a relatively narrow distribution so let's jump in here and see if there's enough to like from a dfs perspective Starting with the Carolina offensive side of the ball, Darnold's playing well, not outstanding, but well enough. But there was some coach speak after last game where Matt Rule was saying that he wants to get who we are, run the ball. Chuba Hubbard has been playing uh, a lot of or has gotten a lot of volume. What are we thinking about are, are we listening to the coach speak and how does Sam Darnold and Chuba Hubbard and the rest of the offense set up against New York Giants defense Lex? 
Yeah, so the Giants have really struggled this year in pass defense, at least, you know, relative to how they, I guess, overperformed last year. Um, I think it's 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 a good spot for Darnold, but it's kind of like you're saying, you know, that they might want to start running the ball more. Uh, the Giants are able to be run on, so it's not like they're just not going to be able to run Shuba more if they feel like it. But I do think that uh, DJ Moore will be a guy that will look to in the spot and we'll get to him, I guess. But it's hard to know with Darnold because you're you really would need volume. Um, they haven't been able to hit on a ton of big plays this year. Robbie's been dropping a lot of passes, and they've basically just been working the intermediate area with more so much. Uh, so I think you would need to build if you're building around Darnold. You're basically saying that the Giants are putting up a good amount of points on the other side, which honestly might be true for DJ Moore too. Um, but I think that yeah, Chuba's in a good spot, and we'll get to him. But yeah, I don't know where you how specific you want me to go to with each player, but I think the Carolina offense as a whole sets up in a pretty good spot, um, especially compared to how they've been, you know, last week versus the Vikings. So it'll be a spot I'm definitely considering and we'll talk more about it. If, you know, once I hear Jess's thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So these teams uh, rank as far as net past DVOA goes They're in the, then the fifth and sixth worst spot for the week. Uh, Matt rule wants to run the ball uh, quarterbacks. They're ranking second and third among reg regular starting quarterbacks and percentage of passes dropped. So even if the quarterbacks want to, they, they need help on the other end of that ball. Um, and both teams are defenses are allowing a high yards per carry. Um, so it, it's it's possible that the running games for or at least the Carolina running game and Hubbard can move the ball. Um, I think at some point they, they are going to have to have Darnold do a little bit, but I, I'm not so sure that the Giants are going to be able to move the ball on the ground. So it, it, it'll be interesting how this game plays out like both teams between injuries and just dysfunction. It's it's kind of an interesting game to dissect and, and try and figure out where points will come from. Yeah, I was just looking at what I had wrote for Chuba and the Giants have faced 33, 35 and 30 running back rush attempts the last three, three weeks. But they've also come versus the Saints who were basically running, you know, as much as they could to hide Jameis. And then the, uh, de you know, the Cowboys who were just running all over them and who've been running all over everyone. And then last week, the Rams who were in control for the majority of that game. So, you know, three teams with really, you know, strong offensive lines and um, strong head coaches and teams that were in control for the majority of the game. So I don't know if this is the spot where Chuba can reach like a 24 attempt type game, but if what rule is saying is true, uh, he, he, you know, maybe he gets more usage than we've seen in these kind of 13, 16 attempt games. And if Carolina is able to control the game more then maybe he's able to rack up a lot of the yards that he hasn't really why hit like a big ceiling game quite yet, you know, filling in for CMC. So maybe that comes this week. So maybe that comes this week. And one more thing to add on here too, is uh rule was praising, like he made the switch at left guard and brought in Michael Jordan. He was praising him and in regard to his run blocking and tone setting. So we've got the, definitely the narrative of them trying to run the ball. Uh, one other thing I noticed too, is the giants, they've only allowed one run over 20 yards. So they might have to, you know, just pick it up in little chunks on the way and kind of sustain the drive and keep keep time on the clock or eat time off the clock. But I, I think the running game is definitely in place here for Carolina if they want to. Yeah, I think just to continue with the the run game and Chuba Hubbard here, it is pretty interesting. I I mean, 
I don't know. I think it's kind of hard for me to see a world where Carolina doesn't or goes far outside of a pretty balanced offense. It just seems like, I don't know, that they're they're not going to skew too, too far from what they've been doing. But um, anyways, yeah, Chuba, you know, he's been getting a, quite a bit of volume. He's He doesn't have quite the CMC role, but he's still been getting a lot of uh, opportunity in this offense. And like you alluded to, Jess, he just really, or sorry, Lex, uh, he just hasn't really seen a true ceiling game yet. So that's definitely interesting to me. Uh, I think the field, you know, while I think yeah, he'll definitely garner some ownership, I, I I don't think necessarily as much as he potentially should, given his workload and the matchup to kind of move on from there and uh, just go a little deeper on the receivers. I guess my question is, can because DJ Moore has been the alpha, Robbie Anderson really hasn't done anything uh, noteworthy so far. And sure, he's always got the opportunity to hit. So if you're playing in a larger field or something like that, definitely viable. But with DJ Moore and how consistent he's been, Lex, you had between eight, five and eight receptions in each game and only one game below 70 yards. I'm kind of interested and wondering if we can play the block of Chuba Hubbard and DJ Moore in this spot to soak up a really large portion of Carolina's offense without trying to really have to figure out if they're going to pass a lot or if they're going to run a lot, uh, kind of getting the best of both worlds. So Lex, thoughts on that or any of the other pass catchers on Carolina? Yeah, I like DJ Moore a lot this week. Just the Giants have struggled with these top receivers. I mean, Cup just went crazy last week, um, and they've been dealing with that all year. So I think that that's interesting what you said. I don't know the prices, you know, if for that scenario, but it, you do have basically the two guys who are going to touch the ball the most, and you have the most, you know, the safest bet to get the most production on this team. Um, depending on the price, like maybe that means you have to run it back with at least, you know, a giant like Shepard or someone just because, you know, maybe the only way that both of them put up the score that you need to capture there is uh, through extra volume, just because if Carolina is able to control the ground, like, you know, rule wants, they just might not pass enough where it matters for more. And then even though you're getting the concentrated usage, you're still just not getting a big score just because there's not as much volume, you know, to go around. Um, But if the giants are able to somehow, you know, push Carolina to being a little bit more aggressive, then that probably opens that spot up better. Um, so yeah, more to me, I I might just be looking at him in terms of you know who on the Giants can push the Carolina offense to pass more with him, and then looking at Chuba more as he can be played either way. But he's probably the safer bet um, if you're excluding the Giants on your roster. Yeah, I really like the or like what you said there. I think was just like super sharp. Uh, I was on Daryl Henderson and Cooper Cup last week as a block, and they absolutely smashed. And I didn't think you needed a, a bring back simply because the the Rams are a little bit different uh, offensively in that they were less likely to need the Giants to keep pace, whereas Carolina does seem a little bit more willing to just sit on it. So, yeah, I think what you said is really strong there. Uh, Jess, thoughts on those two guys and anybody else pass catching wise in the Carolina offense? 
I think both guys who line up outside have a shot at a good game. Uh, Bradbury's allowing a 72.5% completion percentage and a Dory Jackson 63%. So if you throw it on him, chances are your guy's going to catch the ball. Um, obviously lean more for the talent and the, the volume more and actually, well, both of them are getting volume, but one of them's catching more of the balls than the other one is. Uh, and then kind of looking at, at drop rates, uh, Robbie's only at about 12 and a half percent. It's actually Chuba's dropping the most at uh, 26% and DJ Moore at 6%. Um, I wouldn't shy away from Robbie in the spot. Like he, at some point he's going to get a get right game. Uh, and it, as his cost continues to come down and as the field continues to just, you know, no, I'm not I'm not doing that again. At some point, he's going to have a real cheap, solid game. This is the secondary to do it against because uh, the Giants play pretty much mostly play their cornerback stationary where Bradbury's on the left, Adoree's on the right. So it, the Panthers receivers, they kind of rotate which sides they play on. So they're both going to get cracks at these guys. Uh, Adoree allows a higher a dot against. So like maybe you could throw it over his head and then throw it in front of Bradbury for easy completions. Like it, it seems like a spot where you could see Robbie Anderson get right. Uh, it's a spot where DJ Moore can definitely have a big game. Yeah, he actually only trails more in targets by three over the last three weeks. I, like, I was like shocked when I saw that just because of how little production he's had. Um, but like Jeff said, it's certainly he's a guy that has, you know, massive big play upside. So there's no reason why he couldn't hit. Um, so going back to also what you were saying, Ben, about the the Rams guys. So that team, the difference is also, you know, not only are they a more aggressive scoring team, they were like a 30 plus point total team in a good matchup. And I just looked and the Panthers are implied for 23 points here on the road. So I, that's, that would be my concern is just, they're not really projected to score a lot of points. Um, and they don't seem like the type that are going to be extra aggressive and trying to score more. So that would be my biggest concern in time and trying to play like the both of them outside yeah. of a game stack. Yeah. So definitely more of a, uh, you get the floor from the block, but the ceiling would be pretty highly dependent on if the Giants are pushing back. And so just like you were saying before, uh, probably consider playing that bring back guy. Jess really loved what you were saying about Robbie. I I do totally agree in that. Yeah, one of these weeks, he's going to have one of those games and definitely interesting that he is getting those targets just hasn't come through yet. Uh, and like you said, this is, you know, this is a spot that it could definitely happen against this defense. So with that, you know, probably when they're if they're going to be stretching the ball and if that would be possible, the the Giants offense would have to be doing something. So we've mentioned that a couple of times. So let's go over to that side of the ball. The the kind of notable stat here, Lex, you know, you've shared this uh, the past few times we've looked at the Giants. And in 22 Garrett games, Jones, McCoy and Glennon have scored one touchdown or less in 15 of them, which is just like in a ridiculous stat. Um, and it's it's not really great against Carolina team that's allowing an average of 2.2 touchdowns per game to opposing QBs. So, Lex, any elaboration there and just kind of an overall high level look at the offense versus the Carolina D? Yeah, I still think Carolina's. Uh, defense is just a little bit overrated by some of their earlier opponents. And then with, you know, some of the injuries they've had factor in, but I know they're expected to start working in Gilmore soon. I don't know if that's this week or not. Um, I know he's returning from that injury, but 
I, I think the Giants could put up points here, but it's definitely going to be tough sledding. Um, Jones typically has really struggled against pressure, and Carolina's been really good at you know forcing turnovers and getting sacks this year. So that makes it a tough spot. Uh, we've been saying this the past couple of weeks, how the Giants are really still struggling to score with Garrett. Um, they've done some nice things, like when they were working in Tony and things like that, but now Tony you know, is probably out. Um, they've only scored... They scored less than 20 points in 13 of the 22 games with Garrett. I keep saying that every week just because it's it's just still a struggle this year. Um, I think, you know, Shepard will be interesting just because the the distribution might get so concentrated this week with some of their injuries. Um, and Carolina probably playing with a lead on the other side. But uh, the overall setup for this offense is, is definitely not the best. Um, Carolina's defense, even if a little overrated, is still pretty strong in the areas that Jonah struggled. Yes, I'll toss it yeah, over they, to you. I think they, I'll toss it over to you. The injuries in the Carolina secondary and then the injury to Shaq Thompson are are starting to take their toll. Um, as far as the receivers go, it's it is highly concentrated. I, I'm pretty much you're looking at picking between Shepard, Slayton, or Colin Johnson. Um Slayton at least has he has the highest targeted QBR of the receivers on this team. So and Daniel Jones and Slayton was it last year or the year before had a really nice connection. So there's a little bit there maybe, and he's the deep guy. Shepard's going to get more volume. He has a chance to put up more points just because he's going to catch more. He's possibly going to catch the the easy touchdowns in this game. Uh, but that also could be Colin Johnson. He's a big guy. He can kind of catch some of those uh, back corner touchdown fades. Uh, as far as like anything involving a, a stack for this game, I don't know if I would go too heavy on it. Maybe just like one correlated play from each side. So maybe like uh, Chuba Hubbard and then one of the receivers for the Giants might be a way to approach this game. Um, not sure about what I would do with Daniel Jones. Uh, kind of looking at Carolina defense, they're allowing the second fewest yards after the catch. So that's kind of another area where maybe you do want to target Slayton and maybe a couple deep ones hit and Jones gets the points from Slayton's bomb touchdowns or whatever. But I don't know. I, as far as this game goes, I would look at, I'm probably favoring Slayton here just for the, the big play low owned. He's probably cheap. I don't know. I need to look at pricing. Um, and then definitely, I mean, Shepard's the best play. It's Slayton is kind of a, a an off the the board play that I would look at, though. Yeah, I think, I think Slayton's. Go ahead, Ben. Sorry. No, you're good. Let's go for it. I was just gonna say. So yeah, Slayton's definitely the kind of guy that can hit for those, you know, two fifty yard, you know, you know, one was a touchdown, one's another deep play, and then he's up to a hundred yards, the bonus and a score. Um, he's he's the guy in the team that can do that. That's in right now. Um, but Carolina has been pretty good at, uh, stopping the people. I think, I mean, they've allowed the third fewest completed air yards so far, um, since last year. So since rule took over and, and snow took over the defense, um, the best wide receivers versus versus this defense have actually been ones that racked up catches, like, cause they've been forcing a shallower a dot and making these guys kind of just drive down the field methodically. So I think that sets up pretty well for Shepard who has, you know, seven catches for 113 yards, touchdown, nine catches, 94 yards. 10 catches, 76 yards. So he's being used in that shallower way, just trying to rack up yards after the catch. Um, so if you're expecting, you know, a, an even more concentrated volume this week with Tony out now and no Saquon, um, I, I think the spot for Shepard is pretty nice, you know, in terms of what you'll get from him and throughout the year. Um, I think the environment as a whole, like we've been saying, is not great. 
you know, Slayton, like I said, and Jess was saying is the guy that can hit those deep plays, but Shepard is definitely the most interesting, interesting to me in terms of what Carolina allows and what New York is probably going to try to do in this game. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat there. I think in terms of Daniel Jones, just like not really enough to like in terms of ceiling, like obviously he's capable of it uh, with his legs and things like that. But yeah, it just doesn't really set up well for him to have a ceiling game. And yeah, I think you guys nailed it on the, the Slayton Shepard analysis there. It's, you know, you kind of have more ceiling with Slayton, but in terms of, and I think that is a, a pretty sharp, larger field play, or if you're going a little bit more off the board, uh, depending on your style of play, uh, just because, yeah, the, the field just doesn't tend to want to play him as much. I do think, I guess I'll be interested to see what Shepard's ownership is, because I think a lot of people will see some of those like uh, relatively higher target games and the fact that this is going to be a pretty concentrated um, attack. So I think, yeah, he, he is kind of the most objectively strong play from this side of the ball. With that, just to kind of wrap up this side of the ball, we, you know, not as much fun with uh, Saquon out. Is Booker viable? Carolina has dropped to 18th in defensive rush DVOA after, you know, we've talked about this after looking pretty strong the first few weeks. Uh, any chance that we're playing Booker? Jess, I'll go with you. I'm not. <laughs> New York has the second worst net adjusted line score, uh, second worst O-line for just for their adjusted line yards on their own. Uh, Booker has the third fewest rushing yards over expectation per attempt. He's gaining nearly a yard less than expectation. Um, there's just not a whole lot to like there. I would rather uh, stick with Shepard or Slayton and just ignore Booker. But I mean, he's he's going to get work. And we we knew that last week he was in a bad spot last week. We knew he was going to get work and he didn't really do much as far as like production fantasy points go. I kind of think that's where he's at again in this spot. So lock yeah. him in basically is what you're saying. <laughs> Lex, he's going to smash Lex. just because I t- said he wouldn't. <laughs> right. Lex thoughts on Booker. Yeah, I don't, I don't really want to play him. The only running backs with success for his Carolina this year, are Dalvin and Zeke. Um, sorry for Booker, but he's not exactly in that category. This giants offense is only implied for 20 points. Uh, I just, I'd rather, I, I don't think I'll be touching him this week. All right. I think we talked enough about the Giants offense. Just a reminder, guys, if you are hanging out in Discord, you can either hang out to the end and go ahead, jump up here, ask us any questions you've got, or you can go ahead and drop questions in the first peak live 7 p.m. Eastern channel about this game. All right. Third and final game for this podcast tonight. Chicago at Tampa Bay. This is kind of an interesting spots. The field's probably going to pretty quickly pass it up as, you know, Tampa Bay and Brady are just going to smash. We do have a small sample of how the Bears are going to play offense with uh, Laser calling plays and fields at the helm. The The real question is, can they compete? And, and really, can the Bucks put up points against this Bears defense who is slowly improving 
starting with the Bears defense versus Brady and the Bucks. Uh, since week, or sorry, since allowing 34 to the Rams in week one, the Bears have allowed 17, 26, 14, 9, and 24. Not the strongest of competition necessarily, but definitely not super weak either. So Lex, thoughts on how this Bears D is kind of rounding out and how that plays into uh, Brady and the Bucks O? Yeah, this defense has been playing pretty well this year, um, which is kind of weird because they've had a couple struggles with some wide receivers, um, but they've still managed to hold these offenses to pretty low totals. Green Bay was struggling for the majority of that game until like a late uh, busted play with where Adams got loose deep. Um, I think this is a spot where even though they've been playing well, Tampa Bay certainly can have success. Just they have just so many weapons. It's just hard to defend them. Um, but I, I think that Akeem Hicks's injury is interesting. He's, he's questionable. I don't know. I know he missed one game two weeks ago. I can't remember if he played last week, but it definitely changes whether the offense can run effectively on Chicago, he's just that effective in the middle. So if he's out, I think they'll probably be able to give the ball to Fournette a little bit more and he'll have a nice game um, on the ground. But I, I do think that if he's playing and even if he's not, I think that Tampa Bay can certainly still put up a nice score. Um, I just don't know if it'll be, you know, those have to have scores. It's not exactly the environment that we've seen the last couple of weeks for them. So I think that's interesting to keep in mind, especially if they start to get more popular because of the way those last couple of weeks have played out with them putting up more points. Um, but again, an offense with Brady and Brown and all these guys is certainly capable. Although I think I, Brown did mispractice today too. So if that distribution shrinks, you know, with injuries and whatnot, if Gronk still is out too, then that becomes even more interesting because then you, you have a, a much stronger idea of where the ball is going to go. Yes, thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think this game sets up to where Tampa Bay, I mean, the Bears haven't really played an aggressive team like Tampa Bay. They can kind of do whatever they want to do. They, they're they set up to where they can run the ball. They're facing the number three net rush DVOA and the number one net adjusted line yard score. So they can run the ball if they want to. Brady can pick and choose who he wants to throw to because somebody's always going to be open. Um it's it's an easy game for the field to pass up in that regard. Um, but it's also kind of like how the the Miami game was. And people made a lot of money stacking Tampa Bay against Miami, which looked like a, an easy defense to run on. And maybe they weren't going to throw yet. Here comes Brady and, and his whole gang. And they threw what, like five touchdowns against Miami. So this could be a game where Tampa Bay does do whatever they want. They, they don't love to run, but they're going to be able to do it if they want to. If Hicks is in there, it's going to slow him down a little bit. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's looks to me like Tampa Bay is going to be able to force the bears into a one dimensional offense. So I don't know. It, it might be a little more interesting <laughs> to look at the Bears side of the ball because we kind of know what what's happening with Tampa's offense. Uh, if if they're in a good run setup, then Fournette's going to have a pretty good game. Um, seems like Tom Brady likes Antonio Brown. He leads the league in targets per snap. So if he's on the field, then Tom Brady's going to look for him. Uh, Godwin's on the field the most out of all of them. He has the most end zone targets with a five to four over Evans and then Evans leads and targeted air yards. So it's you're just kind of like picking which type of receiver you want to stack with Brady or if you want to stack two of them with Brady. 
uh, the Bears defense to me doesn't really stand a chance against this type of a team. They're definitely more aggressive, more talented than the Green Bay team they just saw last week who put up 24 on them. So I don't know. It's it's interesting in regards to can the Bears force them to keep scoring points. I mean, we've got a 47 point total with Tampa Bay taking 12 and a half of it. Uh, it, it doesn't look like many people expect the Bears to be able to put up much of a fight, but that typically doesn't stop Tampa Bay from putting up points anyway. They'll slow down at some point, though. So I just looked, too, and Robert Quinn is out uh, with COVID uh, positive tests. So that's been he's been a huge part of Chicago's you know pressure this year. So I think that you know makes the setup even easier for this Tampa Bay offense. Uh, like Jess was saying, um, Evans and Brown are the guys with the higher ADOTs, and Chicago is facing like the sixth highest ADOT. So they've been attacked more down the field, which sets up better for those guys. However, some of these slot guys have actually been some of the more productive guys for Chicago with cup and Boyd and St. Brown. Um, so that, that would benefit Godwin more. So I think just overall, if you're running into the same problem as you're just trying to figure out which Tampa Bay guy basically gets in the end zone once or twice. Um, but I think that this spot definitely sets up for at least one of those guys to have success um, I think that we'll get into the run game. I think Fournette has a chance to have a nice game. And then I, I actually do think Chicago's offense could push it at least enough where Tampa Bay doesn't just like give up and start running the entirety of the second half. Um, I do think that that, that the chance of that is going to be a little underrated by the field, the chance that, you know, Chicago keeps pace or at least pushes them. So I think that'll be interesting to look at in terms of like the Chicago guys but I don't think this is like a total dead spot, you know, stay away from Tampa because it'll be a blow. I think there's definitely some guys that can still put up, you know, pretty nice scores here. Yeah. I think the interesting thing for me on the the Tampa Bay side of the ball is it kind of, it kind of feels, and I don't know if you guys agree, but it kind of feels like either have to go all in and you play Brady and two pass catchers or, or just leave it alone. It doesn't really feel like you can, like you were saying, we've kind of talked about before with these guys, like it's pretty hard to pick. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're pretty much got to build, um, those like smash spots with Tampa Bay. I think my only concern, uh, other than that kind of like angle is just if any of these guys really have like a, a massive ceiling in this spot, like obviously, any of these guys are capable of 30 plus, but given the the game environment and just like how they split targets. Um, yeah, I just feel like it's it's a little limited, but as Jess pointed out, I mean, clearly that was like the way to win tourneys against the Dolphins. Um, yeah, with that, like I know we're kind of itching to get to the other side of the ball here because that is going to really kind of determine what this game environment shapes up like but before we do that let's just quickly look at a little bit more detailed uh at fournette his usage and his setup versus the bears uh lex like you were saying akeem hicks is really really important for that uh what else do we need to keep in consideration there lex yeah i mean home favorite massive favorite fournette's basically took over taking over the backfield completely is, you know, touch totals in the last few weeks of 25, 17 and 28. So he's getting a ton of usage. Uh, Akeem Hicks being out definitely makes it a weaker spot. I mean, Tampa Bay should be in control basically the majority of this game. So I would expect him to stay on the field versus, you know, seeding 
too many snaps to like geo. Um, he's had 40 plus receiving yards in three straight. So he's getting used in the pass game, even with the addition of geo this year. I really think that he's an interesting guy to look at. Now I'd like to go back to what you just said. It definitely is possible that his game environment as a whole sets up in a way where just no one puts up that, you know, have to have it score. I mean, JM talked about even last week with Devonte. it just wasn't one of those spots where he was going to really bury you. And that has been true. Like even the receivers that have been productive this year, none of them have really like separated themselves from the field. Clearly like cup had the best game. And even that wasn't like some huge explosion. So I think that your take on that is definitely sharp. And it's important to keep in mind that as we'll get into the Chicago offense, that maybe the only way to really look at it is if you can play a Chicago guy that pushes more Tampa volume. Otherwise maybe none of those receivers get enough volume. And it's possible that even Fournette, you know, doesn't play the majority of the game if it's, you know, a really bad blowout, but he's probably the most likely, uh, Bank, you know, having he's he's probably the, has the most bankable volume in this game. Um, I don't know. The run game isn't necessarily the easiest spot. You'd you'd rather target it through the air, but uh, he's definitely the most likely to have a, a nice score of all of them on this offense. Yes, thoughts on Fournette. Yeah, I like Fournette at his price. He's I just looked him up. He's sixty four hundred, um, and he's getting what like five or six catches a game or five or six targets a game. So he's definitely getting involved. Um, he's put up, what, 17, 21, and 30 points over the last three weeks. So he does seem to have that that bankable floor. He's going to get the volume. Um, uh, Gio was hurt for a while, I, and even when he came back, I guess last week he, he probably was fully healthy, and they still were throwing a Fournette. So that seems like a, a good route for this game. Um, and then if I'm targeting a receiver with Gronk out, like Brady leans on people he trusts. So maybe I would go to Brown on a, if I were picking one of the receivers. But that's kind of like you don't want to just pick one receiver from this game. Like you were saying, it's you're either all in or just leave it alone. Yeah, I think Fournette's also the one who's uh, like the least dependent on game scripts. He will, you know, probably be seeing usage regardless of whether this is relative. Are you guys, can you guys still hear me? I just lost Ben. Lost Ben. Uh, yeah, I lost Ben too. He's still, he's still out. All right. Do you want to talk about the bear side or what? what yeah, let's go. We, we'll we'll yeah, carry this we, instead we'll, of just we'll leaving it in awkward times. Leaving it in awkward times. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, so overall, as far as the bears offense goes, they have the sixth worst net DSR. Chicago has the fourth worst net pass DVOA and the worst net adjusted sack rate score. And their O line is actually the only one in double digits in adjusted sack rate. So they're they're going to struggle. There are indicators and there's optimism that this could be a game where Justin Fields breaks out. I'm sure you probably got some pretty good stats, and then I can come back after that if you want to throw some stuff out there. Yeah, yeah, sure. So. Tampa Bay, as we know, blitz is at the highest rate in the league with Bulls. Um, Fields hasn't been great versus blitz. He's taken a lot of sacks, um, but it also opens up opportunities, you know, for him to beat them down the field. It's where Tampa Bay has struggled, you know, throughout the Bulls tenure is getting beat on these kind of double moves on the outside and deep shots. And luckily for Fields, that's kind of been the strength of his game for the last couple of years going back to college. Um, so I think that the spot for Mooney is interesting. I mean, Robinson too, but 
Um, Mooney's obviously the more of the deep threat in this offense. So this could be the game. Yeah. That Chicago opens it up a bit. I don't know if that would lead me to, you know, playing fields per se, just because you're still banking on this low total offense that wants to run the ball. And even though they probably won't be able to versus Tampa, like no team really can, it's still a pretty shaky spot. Um, especially then if you're taking away what they want to do and then putting the ball in this rookie's hands. Uh, so I, It'll be interesting. I think the way that this game turns into a better fantasy environment is obviously a fields hits on a couple of those deep balls. So maybe a shot on like a Mooney or even Komet because Tampa Bay has struggled so much versus tight ends as well. Um, rather than like a, you know, a field stack of some sort, but maybe you're playing, you know, one of these Chicago guys and then that will allows you to play, you know, some, somebody from the Tampa side. Um, I think there, there's probably better environments on the slate. I mean, most of my focus is obviously going to be on, the first game we talked about with KC, Tennessee, and some of these other higher total offenses. But um, that would be the way this game gets a little bit more competitive or at least pushes Tampa Bay to get more aggressive is um, fields connecting on some of these uh, shots on the outside. Yeah, and the the Tampa Bay defense has actually tightened up a little bit. Like they they do, they have been known to get beat over the top, but they're actually ranking third lowest in defensive A dot right now. Um, and even though they're blitzing at the highest rate, they've only come up with twelve sacks, which is pretty low for for their pressure rate. And they're but what they're where they're getting beat is they're allowing the third third most yards after the catch. So guys like. Allen Robinson and Mooney could catch the ball and possibly take off from there instead of having to have fields, throw it over everybody's head. They can get one of those guys into some open space and let them run after the catch. I think that's a, a good spot for them. Um, and looking at fields, like where there's some optimism, he ranks number two in intended and completed air yards uh, on average. He's number one in aggression. He, I mean, he's thrown into tight windows because his receivers aren't getting really that far open. Uh, the only thing with him is he's coming up with the second worst passer rating, the lowest expected completion percent, second lowest uh, completion percent over expectation. So and only 69.5 percent of his throws are rated as on target, which is second worst behind Trevor Lawrence. And he's the seventh most pressured quarterback. So perhaps he gets this done running the ball. Perhaps he gets it done by getting the ball out and into Robinson and Mooney's hands and letting them run a little after the catch. And like you said, Komet, I mean, Tampa Bay, the, their linebackers give up 80 plus percent catch rates. So it, it, that's just the way their defense works. They they want to try and keep you from beating them over the top a little bit, or they want to try and get pressure on you and force you to get the ball out quick and make a bad throw. A lot of times when they do that, that's when the ball is going out to the tight end. So Komet is interesting in the spot. Receivers are interesting in the spot. But I think the way I would play it more would be just to do it through fields and not try to bet on one of the single pass catchers in this game and just try and pick up fields running the ball. And if he throws a couple of touchdowns, maybe runs one in or, you know, throws one, runs one in. I, it, it's tricky. Um I know there's chatter out uh, out there about him having a good game this week, but I, I can see both sides of it. I can see why people think that. And I can also see that Tampa Bay is actually playing a little bit better than perception right now. And they could take it away and just really run away with this game. I'm, I'm actually surprised that he's been getting like some, some buzz. Like I wouldn't have expected that just because of how he's been playing so far. Um, but I do think that, yeah, the most likely way this game plays out is, you know, with how, Tampa blitzes and forcing a shallow a dot that fields is probably most likely to turn the ball over a bunch. Um, the teams that are able to beat Tampa over the top, because like you said, they want to force you shallow and tackle you. 
Um, the teams that are able to are the ones that are able to hold up in production for those double moves to develop down the field. Um, so really it's going to be if Chicago's pass protection can hold up for a couple of those plays. And like you said, he's been pressured a ton. Some of that he invites himself, but also it's just because their offensive line is pretty weak this year. Uh, but I, I actually really like what you said. Yeah. Like I'm kind of changing my perspective on this game a bit is yeah. Fields is probably actually the easier one to bet on just because he could hit on deep balls. Then you're not having to bet on, you know, which one of these pass catchers and his rushing upside certainly gives you that naked, uh, QB, uh, possibility there. So I, I like that. I, I do think that I'm for the most part, this might be one of those kind of stay away spots, but if you're trying to look for ways, you know, if it gets too popular, I should say like that, that surprised me, but if it is going under the radar, then that's a definitely a way to think about it just because we've seen like, you know, four games where they've really just tried to run the ball and have fields throw it as little as possible. But we know that that's just basically not possible versus Tampa Bay throughout a whole game. Um, with how effective they are against the run. So it's definitely a spot where fields could open it up a bit. And even if he has some of those turnovers, maybe that also means he's hitting on some big plays and there's just a lot of, you know, possessions in this game. So it'll be interesting. I, I definitely would stay away from the running backs. I just don't think that it's a good spot, especially without Williams. Like Herbert's just not a guy getting used in the past game, like JM was saying last week. So it's, it's probably going to go through guys like Komet and Mooney and Robinson. You guys hear me? Yeah, and Rob. Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Welcome yeah, back, there, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm back. You guys, I'm you guys back. did great. I heard yeah, most of that. <laughs> I was reading out the script. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you know I'm I'm a, a Bears fan for better or for worse, um, and so I'm I'm really just kind of interested from a a football fan standpoint to see if the the bears coaching staff is adaptable here uh you know we've seen intelligent uh logical rational coaches basically just shift their entire game plan versus tampa bay because it's simply like not worth running and so yeah i'm just really curious because i don't really have a ton of faith in uh yeah they seem a little stubborn to me but uh, yeah i'll be curious i think uh, like you guys were saying this just feels like a spot where probably a bit under the radar relative to expectation, but it really does feel like a spot that is, you know, still relatively thin compared to what we want to be hammering, especially with a game like that Kansas city, Tennessee game. So at least to me, it feels like a uh, kind of like a large field play and yeah, just playing it intelligently. Like uh, we've talked about here. So, well, yeah. So real quick, I just want to say one last thing about Komet. Like, I don't know what his price is, but I was watching that, that Chicago green Bay game and they schemed up like a tight end screen for him at the goal line. And he just happened to fall just short and then Herbert punched it in on the next play, but they definitely were trying to get him the ball, you know, near the end zone. So I think he's definitely a guy, you know, if you're taking one of those, you know, cheap darts at tight end, he's certainly in a decent spot. And then, you know, I, I think that, I think that's interesting, at least, just to keep in mind with how Tampa Bay has been versus tight ends. I totally agree there. For me, that's really probably the only spot that will even come close to where I'm going in this game. But that said, I do actually think that's quite viable. Uh, and of course, it's not a uh, guarantee by any means. But as like a one-off piece, I think that's because, you know, always depending on the week, I haven't looked at it just yet, but uh Given the week, sometimes tight end is just a, you know, just a complete mess. So that is interesting to me. Jess, any other thoughts on the Bears? 
Not really. Just uh, one of the stats that I saw today was Allen Robinson has no more than four catches in a game with Fields. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And then I think it was their final drive. Uh, the first there, I think there were five catches on that drive and they were being split between Komet and Robinson. And then Mooney caught the five yard touchdown for the payoff. So I think we, we do at least have somewhat of a, have three players to choose from in this game as, as far as the passing game goes. I'm going to ignore Herbert in the running game. Um, in fact, I, if I were trying to get any running game out of this, it would be through fields. So I, I'm off on Herbert, even though he's pretty much their only back. It's just not a spot to to try and play against with, with Tampa Bay's defense. I also think it should be kept in mind. Chicago has the second lowest total on the slate even like a half point below the Jets and the Lions. So that, that should be kept in mind too. Yeah, hey, Vegas does not exactly like Chicago's chances here. It's interesting. I think I might at least bet the over on that, <laughs> but still doesn't give me <clears throat> too much uh, yeah, uh, confidence from a DFS perspective. <laughs> All right, final game in the books there. Unless either of you has anything to add, we will open this up now uh, for a few minutes to take any questions. You guys can also feel free to, if you don't want to come up here, uh, throw those in the First Peak Live channel. And yeah, we'll just kind of hang out for a few if you guys have anything for us. Looks like we don't have anything in the channel. Anybody? This anybody? Slate is, this slate is just so weird with like the Rams and Cardinals just being like such massive favorites in the Bucks too. It is going to be really interesting. I haven't uh, dug into it too much myself yet. I'm going to be doing that after we get off here. But yeah, really interesting. Uh, just because we do have those like <laughs> massive favorites this week. All right, I'm I'm ready to wrap this up. It doesn't seem like anyone's got questions. So that sounds good, yeah, guys. Sounds- thanks for hanging out. If you've been here with us in Discord. If you are listening on your favorite podcast platform, uh, happy to have you. Let's uh, let's go into this week strong. And yeah, we will see you at the top of the leaderboards for Ben, for Jess and Lex. We are out. Talk to you guys soon.